Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. Quick warning, this episode contains a discussion of childhood sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. So today I am talking to Jackie Roby and uh, you guys, she's got a blog that is called Through Inspired Eyes that that I just started reviewing because she was going to be a guest. And originally we were going to talk about something else. I can't even remember the topic because it's not even important. Uh, but her blog post was all about family secrets and then how travel heals trauma. So we're going to get into it. Uh, Jackie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Tasha, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah. So if you will tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I am based in Boston. I am a sales strategist and social media amplifier for healing and wellness travel. I have a business that I have aligned with my values, which for me brings me incredible joy. And the values that I make sure are consistently expressed are diversity, equity, inclusion, domestic violence awareness, and body acceptance. So that for me is using travel and emotional healing to create a kinder, more inclusive world. Everything you just said, it just, I, I, I literally felt what you were saying in my body when, you know, just that part about having a business, owning a business, that aligns with your values. And just in listening to that, we're not going to get into it because we don't have time. <laughs> that tells me that you know what it's like to work for an organization where your values <laughs> don't align with theirs. That could be a whole hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, you were so specific in your wording that I'm like, oh, she understands what it's like to, okay, I've got to make a living or I've got to do this but this is not my final destination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, as a trauma survivor myself and now a trauma therapist, uh, when I read your blog post about family secrets, it resonated so deeply with me. And I, I've said it several times growing up with this um, in a family that, that that just they said it explicitly and then it was just this unknown um rule of what goes on in this house stays in this house mm -hmm. and I know that you know all about that and if you would share as much as you want and are comfortable with regarding kind of you know your your own history of of trauma and especially as it relates to family family secrets and just how that was handled in your family Sure. So I grew up in New York. Uh, I come from a police family and there was an intensity to that. So when we talked about what happens in the family stays in the family, I always thought it was related to that. And I do think there was definitely an element of that. 
but I didn't realize how damaging it was until later on. My grandfather um, had started sexually abusing me when I was three years old. And it was one of the things that was conveniently forgotten. There was a moment where I tried to ask for help and it was ignored. I, I was berated a bit and I shut down at that point. I'm the youngest of three. My sisters, they were in constant battle growing up and I was the designated peacemaker. So much so to a point where shared a room forever. And my mom had actually placed my bed in between theirs. And she said, well, they both really like you. So if they're going to physically fight, that means they have to get over you to do that. And they're less likely to. So my role was clearly defined and I had to keep the peace, keep everyone happy keep it all together and not make waves. And speaking about abuse makes waves, especially in a Latin family where, you know, very common, I think, and specifically in the Northeast, for sure, we all lived in the same house. There were 10 of us. So my sisters and my parents and I lived on the top floor my grandparents and great-grandmother on the ground floor, and then my two aunts in the basement. Across the street were second cousins, third cousins, great aunts. So that was, that was our culture. So I lived with my abuser, and you know that would have messed up everything for everybody else. And now, as an adult and raising a daughter, it's terrifying and complicated and you know we we teach about secrets not being okay mm-hmm. and not being healthy did your family well specifically your sisters did they experience the same thing or were you in isolation as it relates to that so as far as I know, and as far as their memories serve, I'm the only one of the three of us. Okay. So this happened from three to about what age? Seven. Seven years. So so 40 years experiencing that. After the age of seven, was there ever a moment or even during that time in which an adult knew what was going on and just didn't say anything or where your behavior changed or, or you told someone, or was that a lot of times, especially in my case, it wasn't even safe. I didn't have autonomy over anything. I couldn't share anything about what was happening with my own abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for you, what was that like? Well, I will tell you that a recovered memory, because a lot of my childhood has been blurry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understand that. Um, And through the years and through, lots of therapy, mm-hmm. uh, so things have, have come back. And, and I tried to tell my parents, um, I believe my great grandmother knew, mm-hmm. but was afraid to say anything. 
Mm-hmm. And when the attempt to say something didn't go well, I stopped talking. Yeah. It, because it, then it, it feels like, well, no, nobody's going to help. Nobody's going to do anything. Right. And rocking the boat. Family. Exactly. Oh. And rocking the boat doesn't help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And as a peacemaker, you couldn't disrupt the peace. Exactly. I will tell you that later on in an adult life, um, we had interactions again. I was 21 and I had just graduated from college. I was at my grandfather's house and this was now in Colorado. We had separate homes and he took out this picture of me from his wallet. And it was this picture from sixth grade, which seemed really strange. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, then he sat on the couch and I remember sitting next to each other way closer than I would ever sit with anybody now. But my family was, is very affectionate. Mm-hmm. And that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think anything of it, but then he started to like rub my ear mm-hmm. and I felt really uncomfortable and I was freezing and, and he started to rub my hand. And again, I just felt so uncomfortable. And then he took my finger and put it in his mouth mm-hmm. and I froze. And I don't remember how I left but I did. And I went to tell my parents afterwards. I went straight to them. And the first question was, well, had he been drinking? Who cares? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were commentary after that, that wasn't helpful. And then we saw him for dinner that night. And there's a certain selective memory with these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, you never told us that. Oh, mm-hmm. no, no. right that was clear Mm -hmm. and then again when I was 26 I was you know I was now living across the country and I flew back for the holidays I was at his home he asked to me to come to his office because he wanted to show me something and it was this picture of me that my aunt in New York had taken like a few months prior, it was strange. I didn't realize he had it and he had it as his desktop background. And he said, I, I miss you so much. And he said, Oh, I miss you too. And he says, I think about you all the time. I think about you too. And he says, I think about that time when you were four years old, fast asleep, and you were wearing these gray cotton panties. And it took everything in me not to take them off of you. And again, I froze. Mm -hmm. And eventually my my little cousin had came in to get me. And my sister, my oldest sister was there in the other room. And she said she didn't know why, but she had this feeling. Mm -hmm. And so she sent this little one in to get me. And I immediately after, once I left the room, I told my sister I wanted to go for a drive and I told her about it. How was that received? She's always been my protector. She said, you will never be in the same room with him again. And she asked me how I wanted to move forward. 
what I wanted to do. And I said, don't tell anybody. And I wanted to keep it a secret. I was ashamed. I thought if I say something, everything will fall apart. Sure. We kept, we continued to keep that. She kept that secret for me for years. And it was probably a decade later that I finally had told my grandmother who was married to him about it. What was that experience for you once you told her? She's a wonderful, empowered woman. And I'm so grateful that the first thing she said to me was, I want you to know that I believe you. Wow. Yeah. And I know what he's capable of. So it was freeing. It was a weight for me. And what I didn't realize until that moment was it was a weight for my sister who'd been holding on to it. I had told other people throughout the years, but she was the last one that really needed to know. And it was important and it was difficult. And I know it was really hard for her, obviously. So after you, you'd lived with this secret, if my math is correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Would that have been about closer to 40 years at this point? Mm. About 30. 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so living with this secret for about 30 years, emotionally, how did it, how did it change you from that? Once, once your grandmother knew it freed your sister, she could now speak about it. I started to have a feeling about the empowerment of my own voice mm-hmm. and having some ownership in that and recognizing that I matter, that my words matter, that my voice matters. Mm -hmm. And I had been silenced for so long. I didn't feel like I counted. I was always worried about other people. And even in these moments, you know, in my twenties, I was worried what it would do to my grandmother, who I loved, to my father, who this was his dad, to my aunts, to everyone but myself, Mm -hmm. because I can deal with it. Right. Right. Which is, as you know, the story of so many survivors caring more for the family, caring even more for the uh, abuser in some capacity, Not, not intentionally all the time, but just worried about how will we be perceived by others? What will this do? What will happen with relationships? If we have certain traditions, certain ways in which we spend time with one another, what happens to that? Absolutely. You know, I remember initially, not after 21, after 26, after that incident, thinking, well, he's an old man now. I don't want to ruin his life. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? That's not fair. I can't be that person that does that. I did. I spent years caring about him and thinking, how do I behave around him? And I never, he, he died in August I of 2020. I never actually approached him about it because I was too scared. Mm-hmm. As you were speaking earlier, the fact that he at 21 was very inappropriate with you and was was not fearful of you being older, being more aware. And then again at 26, 
That is very fearful. I, I could imagine that he was not concerned in the least bit that, oh, now she's an adult. What, what if I get in trouble? What if he knew that he was, he was safe mm -hmm. and that he was in charge? Right. And you imagine that, I mean, he's been getting away with that for how long? Yeah. Yeah. And there were countless people who talked about ways that he made them uncomfortable and things that he did. And, mm -hmm. you know, my immediate thing after I started to process it in my 20s was I want to keep my cousins safe. I don't want anything to happen to them if it hasn't already, mm -hmm. who now live two doors down. Mm. That's understandable. And even as you were talking, we, we may never know, and maybe you do know, but we, again, that's not something we have to talk about, but oftentimes there, there is more than one person that is the victim of that kind of behavior, sexual abuse and, and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was there ever a conversation with your cousins regarding what you had experienced prior to his passing? No, not from my side because they were so young. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that their mother did that either. Okay. So, so after sharing this, this truth that you had held for so long with your grandmother, what did your healing journey look like after, after that? And, I, and, and I believe that, that, that when trauma happens, that we're really the healing journey, it never ends. You're always healing. But but what did that look like initially for you once the truth was out? Mm. Well, I would say the truth couldn't have come out if I hadn't started that journey earlier. And I started that after that incident at 26. It drove me or revealed mm -hmm. a depression and more than a depression, it was <laughs> now all the years of therapy and knowledge knowing it was depression, anxiety, PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I started therapy almost, almost immediately after, probably a month after. Mm, yeah. You were ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As I had this moment on Christmas Eve, um, I was spending time with my roommate and her boyfriend. And then I think they might've gone out to dinner. So I was by myself and I was laying in bed and I thought, would anybody care if I stopped breathing tonight? Maybe my heart will stop. And it was, you know, after that evening where I thought, okay, I need, I need help. And I spiraled. I, my therapist had recommended going on antidepressants probably in May. And I don't think I took the advice until November. And at that point, I was so far into trauma and, and all of these triggers and, and panic that I, so much of it's a blur. I felt like I was losing my mind. I ended up needing my mom to come out and live with me for a month. And I don't remember if I told her during that month or if I waited. I felt like I did, but I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. She tells me I didn't, but that could have been selective. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and the more that I was able to process it, heal from it, talk about it, and 
share it with other people in my family and realize I wasn't going to lose them, that made each moment easier. I will say that there wasn't, it wasn't always rosy. I think that's really important to note that I was victim shamed at some points, either questioned directly um, or sometimes talked about behind my back and it came back to me. Was this after sharing the abuse, telling your grandmother about the abuse? Both before and after. So family, what were you doing? What do you mean? When did this happen? Just like trying to make you prove that we don't believe this. Why would he do this? Yeah. And especially if that wasn't their experience. Right. Or maybe, I mean, and I don't know, I'm questioning it now, but maybe it was, and maybe it was pushed down and maybe that's just what we do. Yes. And, 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 and you just never know because when it comes to family secrets, the whole goal of a family secret is you're supposed to just really just choke on it, just swallow it down. And you, you, when you pass away, that secret goes with you. We don't talk about it. We don't process it. We don't get help for it. We don't acknowledge it. We don't hold the abuser accountable. No, absolutely not. Right. And it's easier, the easy path for, I'm not going to call your family this, but for families that I work with and know, and even my own family, toxic families mm-hmm. is, is it's easier to blame the abused person. Mm-hmm. Soft target. Yeah. And I would think to myself, I have been trying to hold the pieces of this family together for chaos and, and drama and all sorts of things. Why would I want to interrupt it? That doesn't make any sense. Again, it doesn't have to make sense. It has to fit the narrative that makes people comfortable. Very much. Jackie, who was your, um, what was your support system like? Mm. Well, um, my sister, Mm -hmm. um, my aunt, who um, was his, is his youngest daughter. Mm -hmm. Her and I are very close. I have girlfriends that were there with me during these really low moments Mm -hmm. that these two girlfriends that are still part of my life, they were there through each step of it. And therapists throughout the years were the main sources of support. So I'm very lucky I had people. And what I know now is I chose to move across the country. I chose to move to Boston um, over 15 years ago. And now I can see that I needed to be away in order to heal and face the reality of what was happening. Because if I had been there, I don't know if I could. There is a lot of power in removing ourselves from the toxicity. You can't heal in a toxic environment. Exactly. In an environment where truth is not acknowledged, it's damn near impossible. I've, I've not seen it. I've mm-hmm. not, I've just, I've never seen anybody heal in a sick environment. And, you know, it connects to so much. In the meantime, I had been in a abusive relationship in college, one that I ended up getting a restraining order, going to court, learning about domestic violence from that. 
he was emotionally abusive. And I see all of this now and recognize that my first abuser from three years old Mm -hmm. set this up for me, this path of insecurity and self-loathing and unworthiness and secret keeping. That's so interesting, you know, when you think about the fact that obviously in college, you you know, you're not thinking about, oh, I'm literally attracting or bringing into my my world the very thing that (laughs) first impacted me, first, you, you know, traumatized me. Oh, yeah. And here I am again, and that happens so often. And certainly, um, I've also seen with with clients that I work with certain characteristics of later abusers, Mm -hmm. the manipulation. Oh, yeah. The the I love you. I'm going to show you that I'm a loving person. I'm a safe person, but I'm simultaneously abusing you. Mm hmm in all the ways it's terrifying Mm -hmm. and you know going through childhood trauma and talked about having things that were just blocked out Mm -hmm. that abuse from three to seven was blocked out and it was brought back to life in my 20s and because of that and because of being victim shamed and questioned I organically throughout the years ended up having different therapists some retired, I moved, whatever it was. And it was almost like at each time I wanted each of them to tell me that it had happened, that it wasn't just me in my head making something up. It's scary. Yeah, it is. And there's so much power in, I love that your grandmother believed you. And then you could start your healing journey. Mm-hmm. Extremely difficult traumatizing in its own right but at least you could start it just because she said I believe you yeah I know him and you know I agree with you it is a journey that continues I heard somebody say it's healing is a lifestyle I loved that it is it is and Jackie I don't know about you but let me ask you for me when I started sharing my truth and I was later in life. I was in probably early Mm thirties, but once I started little bit by little bit of really speaking my truth, this thing happened to me. Now I'm in my forties and I can't exist in even environments that aren't based in truth. A hundred percent. I am with you. Mm -hmm. I in so many ways. And I would say it started with that depression coming out of it, recognizing that I want real authentic conversations. Mm -hmm. I do not want the surface level, you know, work the room like I used to. And I used to do it like a pro. And now it makes me so uncomfortable and so unhappy. Mm -hmm. I want a one-on-one or a small group. I, I just have no patience for anything else oh that so resonates with me (laughs) I was telling a friend the other day I said I don't even trust people unless I know their truth Mm. (laughs) who are you tell me who you are 
Yeah. Because if we can't get to that level, then I can't, there's nothing that I can do regarding this relationship or whatever. Who are you? I have to tell you, so my now husband on our first date, he sat there at dinner and he says, I need, all right, so you need to know I am dyslexic, colorblind, and ADD. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. He's like, what about you? Right. So then throughout our, our first few dates, we were like laying out all these yes. truths. Truth. And I was so funny to me at the time, but so beautiful mm-hmm. and empowering. And I think by date four, it was like, okay, I've, you know, I have depression, anxiety, PTSD, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and we continued on like that, but it, mm-hmm. it was so extraordinary and authentic and it's part of what built a healthy relationship. I love that. Both of you basically saying to each other, show me your scars. Yes. I love that. So, so you have this experience and, and you know, you, you are not that you have this experience, but you have this, this history of childhood trauma. And at some point, let's move, let's, we're going to really fast forward because <laughs> this is what I really want to hear about because as a person that loves to travel, can you speak about your business? Can you speak about what travel meant to you or rest or just being able to retreat? You started that retreat by moving away from your family. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of, you know, share with listeners kind of your journey and yeah, we'll go from there. Sure. So the irony of someone now who doesn't like small talk, I'm a salesperson and I have been in sales in the travel industry for almost 20 years. Mm. And as I was in a position at a large consortia, which is a company that basically gives buying power to many travel agencies. So we had 50,000 travel agencies under this umbrella And I worked for the big company and I oversaw a luxury wellness program. So I walked into that, like, I love spa, I love yoga, done. But I had no idea everything else that came with it Mm -hmm. and the different healing modalities that were available to you through travel. So there are moments I can say throughout the years where travel was part of my journey, but in a way that I didn't know Mm. until later in reflection, Mm -hmm. like escaping into a city and being able to kind of reinvent yourself a little bit. Changing your space opens up your mind in a way that is different than what you experience in your day-to-day. I think we can all pretty much understand that, especially this past year, that change of space is really really great for your mental wellness, but the true wellness and healing travel, it comes with more intention. So wellness is wellness travel is focused on the mind, body, and spirit. You can have elements of that in, in many ways. Nature is a big part of the wellness experience because you are grounded. It brings a calm to kind of a reset. It does. 
So, you know, there are many people who love hiking. There is something called forest bathing. And I remember hearing that term and thinking, I was thinking of a hot tub in a forest, but it it's more about being meditative in a walk in nature, mm-hmm. reflecting, giving yourself that time. There are incredible hotels and resorts across the globe that are dedicated to healing. There's actually my favorite company is called Healing Hotels of the World. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't learned about them again until 17, 18 years into the industry blew my mind. They have a collection over a hundred properties and I've experienced and, and people that I work with and hotels that I work with have, have served this. There are things like life mapping sessions, right? That so many, I'm sure coaches have brought to their clients. This is something that you can get in travel. Energy healing, like Reiki or sound healing. I had some beautiful Ayurvedic treatments and abhyangam, which is a, a massage, but very different from what we're used to. There's a lot of um, oils that are used with it. And you're on this wood table and the focus, and it's kind of intense. And I remember there were moments where my leg or my arm would kind of jut out. They, you know, the therapist, what he had described is actually an Ayurvedic doctor was your energy, anything, all of that negative self-talk, all of those shame, everything that's in there, that's trying to get out. So your body is pushing it out. And that feeling when you leave there, you really, these are some amazing things that are, are options for us to support our journey. I think that is really important. As you were talking, I thought about, you know, as a trauma therapist, one of the things that I hear over and over in my clients is they, what trauma does is it, it really does impact your ability to rest, to relax, to meditate, mm-hmm. to be present in your body. Yeah. Mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, all the ways, just being able to be present in the moment. And there is, I've had a chakra reading done on me before. And I remember the state that I was in was such high anxiety and frustration. And everything was off balance, except for, I think, two of my chakras. I was connected in my, in my seventh chakra, my you know, spirit, my higher being, and that I was grounded, which was great, but everything in between. So my voice was closed. My throat was closed. Um, I couldn't see insight. My heart was closed. Learning how to balance those things. And your second chakra, you know, is, is opening that is opening for your sexual being. There's Reiki healing and that kind of energy healing. When I've had those experiences at these incredible properties and in, in travel in different countries and in different states, I had learned that I was an empath. I hadn't even heard that word before, but I remember she said, do you tend to sit with pillows over your lap? I thought, yeah. She says, you, you hold on to pillows. I said, yeah. She says, do you feel other people's emotions? I said, oh, actually really deeply. There are times where something happens to somebody and I am hysterical. I'm crying. I can't be calmed. 
And she says, all right, we need to protect your energy. We need to protect your third chakra. So picture this yellow light around you, around your midsection, kind of like a, a wrestling, you know, uh, championship belt. Mm-hmm. Use that, help that to protect you um, so that you're not taking in all of this. And the, the rest piece that you mentioned that really resonates with me because even in treatments, I, my mind is going, I can't stop. There's a beautiful treatment called the Shiradara. And I would recommend this to any survivor because mm-hmm. I laid in there and it says it's going to help your mind rest. And I thought, sure. <laughs> and sesame oil is dripped on your third eye. Mm-hmm. And I remember being hopeful, but not really knowing. And my mind was going and it was going, and it was going. And then there was this moment where it was like this light and I was just calm and I slept. And this is at one of the retreats that you're speaking. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So all of these different things that I've been able to experience and learn through travel, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary. And it's things that you, memories that you take, feelings that continue, and also so many times tools that you can take home to support your journey. It's mm-hmm. amazing. So do you want to speak a little bit about where for somebody listening, and I know a lot of people are in need of the services that you offer, where can they, where can they find out more about you and what you do and just how you're showing up in the world nowadays? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I have a podcast called Through Inspired Eyes. Mm -hmm. It is the same name as my blog. Mm -hmm. Uh, My blog is at um, inspiredjourneyconsulting.com. So that's my website. So you see information on the blog and podcast there. And my mission for those of us in need of support or who are on our journey, just want to learn is to really bring you the information that's available through travel. Mm -hmm. So I like to be really clear. I don't book travel. I don't run retreats, Mm -hmm. but I work with a lot of experts that do all of that. Nice. And I have a, an initiative called travel can heal. That is really a social media initiative, but there's a way to sign up through my site. You get information in the newsletter. There's chances to follow on Instagram, to post on Instagram and Twitter, however feels comfortable for you, however that fits, or maybe just follow and pay attention. And it's to show people they're not alone. I'm very open and and vulnerable about my own journey, because I think it's important. And also I work with healers and hotels and resorts and travel advisors and retreat leaders across the globe who, you know, participate. Mm -hmm. And so you can learn about what they do there and really have access in a place where (laughs) I'm not trying to sell you something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I, I work with these people and I'm amplifying their voices because I, believe in what they do. I only take on clients that I believe in what they do. Oh, that is powerful. <laughs> That's powerful. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, because you have your own story and you've experienced, 
uh, a lot of the, the benefits of these different retreats, you're coming from personal experience. I know this company or I know this organization or this person. I know what they're bringing to the table. And so when, when it's personal, it, it means a lot more. And you can translate that to your clients and say, no, no, no. This is where you should go. Even as you're thinking, I'm thinking of um, my clients who my practice is pr- really 98% women. Mm-hmm. They've experienced childhood trauma, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, growing up with narcissistic family members. I know a few of them are, are like, I just, I, I want to get away, but but is there somewhere that I can go, you know, as a, as a single woman? Can I do a solo retreat? Um, where do I go for that? So for instance, for my clients that would be looking for something like that, they could call you and say, this is what I'm looking for. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that is different about what I do and what I speak to mm-hmm. is I've been in this industry. Mm-hmm. So I've seen mm-hmm. the ins and outs and so many things. I know what real looks like. Right. And as a trauma survivor and someone who's been through all of that, I also know what healing looks like and what is beneficial. And as a woman who doesn't like, I'm still really nervous around men in power, mm-hmm. admittedly. Mm-hmm. So I'm sensitive to those things. So all of these things are, you know, bring a different perspective. I actually, I'm going to say right off the top of my head for solo female travelers, one of the places for me that was really beautiful um, outside of the States is the retreat Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. I actually met two to three other female solo travelers when I was there. And it was this kind of natural Mm -hmm. um, connection of warmth, Mm -hmm. but I could be there and feel safe, vulnerable and open in that space. Now I feel like I'm going to be contacting you soon (laughs) (laughs) for myself. Yes. When you want to move your body, when you want to dance, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? <laughs> I love to dance for joy. I will tell you, I am a huge Salt and Peppa fan. Yes, <laughs> old school. Yeah. Yes, I am. I am old school hip hop. Yeah, all day long. And who or what makes you laugh? My husband makes me laugh every day, and I love stand up comedy. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm always looking for, for new comedians. Funny enough, my daughter introduced me to Bob's Burgers. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. I'm obsessed. Who or what inspires you? My sisters. They're so strong and they're so kind and they're so giving. And as loving and as kind as I feel, I feel like I can never keep up with how kind and loving they are and brilliant. And I learned from them and I'm so grateful to have them as my support. That's beautiful. So for listeners who want to reach out to you on social or uh, anything, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm big on Instagram. So find me at inspire journey consulting and I'm there most often. And then the, uh, the podcast through inspired eyes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, uh, Jackie, for being here. And I look forward to us talking again. And Me too. Yeah, this, this has just been an amazing conversation. So I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time. Thank you.